This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus joins with us down in the Fox Valley, as well as all those who watch us online. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. What a beautiful morning. What state are we in? This is amazing. <laughs> kind of looks like Wisconsin, but not. Anyway, uh, very quickly, how we do our offerings here at Celebration Church. If you'd like to contribute, uh, you can use the envelopes in front of you on the seat backs, put in any checks or cash there, and you can put that in the little buckets or whatever they have on the way out the door, or many people have uh, gone online and signed up for recurrent giving. Very helpful to us. We encourage that if this is your home church to sign up for something like that. It really helps. It's just where you predetermine we're going to give X amount of dollars for our, to our church every week, and it just happens automatically. Or you can use your phone. A lot of people use their phones. Actually, the phone is really a great way to give on a day like today because today is Missions Sunday. Even if you've already set up recurrent giving or whatever you normally give, you can use your phone to do a special gift just to the church for our missions program. You can find that all on, at our uh, app. You know, feels like a short word. Should I say more? Uh, but the app, Celebration Church app, and you can do it that way. Or you can do an extra gift. But this offering for missions is above and beyond. And those of you normally give X amount of dollars on Mission Sundays, you get X plus Y to go into missions. Uh, it's really the purest form of giving because it's a way to give where you don't get anything in return but God's blessings. I mean, in a sense, when we give to the church, we benefit. We have the chairs and the, everything that we enjoy in this building and all the ministries and stuff. So we're giving, but yet we still benefit. When you give to missions, you don't get any benefit from that. It's pure giving just to advance the kingdom of God. So encourage that. This morning, I want to read to you from the book of Acts, the 20th chapter and verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves. This is Paul talking to a church 
leaders. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The shepherds of, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. This morning, I want to talk to you about the church. And when I say the church, I mean specifically this church, who we are, what we're doing, where we're going, what our vision is. Uh, I want to get this in before summer kicks in because the summer kicks in and the attendance tends to drop as people go on vacation and stuff, which is fine. Go on vacation, invite me. You know, we're, 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 we don't yell at people for not showing up every single Sunday, though you should show up if you're not on vacation or something. Uh, anyway, or at least stay connected, you know, online and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but there's really benefit in, in gathering together. So, I mean, don't totally blow that away. But anyway, uh, we're coming up on summer. Um, uh, next month, first weekend of the month is the 6th, is that June 6th, the 5th? <laughs> she should just be up here. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, on the 6th, is, the 5th is going to be our Pentecost Sunday. Uh, we had a wonderful Pentecost Sunday last year. It was the most amazing service ever. Uh, and we're doing another one again, a uh, special service in the evening. We have a, a bit, another bishop coming, uh, uh, which I'll talk about in just a little bit. Uh, bishop Zapula, he's from Canada and going to be here to bless the people, lay hands on people uh, on the uh, evening service. He'll be speaking that morning and then uh, having special uh, blessing service that night. Anyway, uh, so all that's coming up as we go into summer. Now, Celebration Church, as many of you know, is a, a church where the three streams of Christianity blend together. You got the evangelical, the charismatic, and the liturgical. They all join or converge together. Now, when we first started doing this about 15 years ago, we weren't really aware of any other churches that were doing this. We were just trying to follow what we believed was the direction of the Holy Spirit and really unaware of anybody else that was even doing this. A few years ago, we became aware that apparently there are many churches all over the country doing the very same thing. Uh, nobody was really organizing, which we tend to contribute to the Holy Spirit, doing this just on his own. Apparently, God doesn't need us for everything. So uh, he's doing this on his own. It wasn't organized per se, and uh, many churches, and then there was a name for it. They're called convergent churches. So we tell people, when people ask me about Celebration Church, what are you guys? We're a convergent church. We blend the evangelical, charismatic, and liturgical streams all together. We try to take the best of everything and blend it into one. Typically, most evangelical churches are just evangelical churches, or charismatic churches are just charismatic churches, or liturgical churches are just liturgical churches. Uh, and they don't blend very much of anything together, but we do. Now, over the last year... Well, let me explain again. When I say evangelical, what it means by evangelical is we teach from the Bible and believe the authority of the scriptures has the final say in everything that we do. Bottom line, if the Bible says X, we do X. Okay. Now, we might do some things that are not found in the Bible. For example, you driving your car this morning is not in the Bible. All right. They didn't have cars. There's all kinds of things that we do, but it's not contrary. If the Bible says thou shalt not drive a car... We'd all be coming on horses and buggies this morning. It doesn't say that. The Bible has the final say on what we do. Uh, we are charismatic. We believe in the empowering and gifting of the Holy Spirit. And then we are liturgical in the sense that we practice the sacraments of baptism and communion. 
Those are the two major sacraments of the church. Uh, historically, in non-liturgical churches, they kind of downplay those. They, they think it's important, but it doesn't really, you know, it's just an outward sign of an inward work is the phrase they use all the time. We don't believe that. We believe God actually does something. It's not just a sign that God actually shows up when we do communion and, and baptize people. All right? Uh, we also give space to the ancient creeds, as we just said, the Apostles' Creed. Why would you do that? Where does that come from? It's one of the earliest records of Christianity is this creed. Some would argue, I mean, no one says an actual apostle wrote the Apostles' Creed, but that the apostles were probably still, at least some of them were still around to give nod to it. Uh, uh, it's, it shows up right after the scriptures are written, this thing. So this is before there's any organized anything anywhere. This is the oldest Christian creed, and that's why we connect with that. And we have ancient creeds, prayers, and historical traditions of the church. Now, over the last year or two, we've had several pastors from other like-minded convergent churches come and be a part of our service. Some of these pastors that have come, Bishop Sean, uh, Bishop Ed is also part of this as well. Um, and um, we've gotten a chance to really get to know these guys. And, grow, and we love, we get together, we chat. We get together every week, actually, on Zoom. And uh, we do a Bible study together. And we encourage each other. And uh, it's, it's kind of fun because independent churches like us really aren't connected to anything organized at all. So... Uh, this gives us a chance to connect to something bigger than us. We've always wanted to connect with other things, but we never quite fit in anywhere. Or, or other organizations would try and get us to connect with them, right? It's a fairly large church in Wisconsin, you know, 2,000 people. That's, that's a lot. Of, and then I have an international ministry, so they would come and they would try and get us to join whatever denomination and stuff like that. Uh, but the more they'd ask questions, the more they realized that we weren't really a good fit because we did things that they didn't do. Actually, the biggest problem is when they find out that we use real wine at communion, <laughs> they drop us like a hot potato, which means they're just crazy. Good Lord. Don't get me started on that. Anyway, so, um, so anyway, we've been meeting with these guys, and we have decided, all of us, uh, to join together and create a new diocese. It's going to be a convergent diocese we're going to call it the Diocese of the Redeemer. Now, we're doing this because we believe we can be stronger and more effective together than just existing on our own. And then we answer to each other. We don't just get to be off doing whatever. Now, in our context, a diocese is simply this. It's a group of churches that join together. That's what it is. And it's driven relationally, not geographically. A lot of dioceses and other even liturgical churches by the way, all churches have this. They just don't use the words because of this real paranoid thing of being Catholic. Uh, even the Pentecostal church that I grew up in, they had sectionals and uh, districts, which really are dioceses, and they have a presbyter over them, which is really a bishop. But they don't use those words but those are the same, they use different words. The Baptists do the same things. And let's do any other word that something a Catholic uses because <sighs> that freaks us out. So we're just using traditional uh, words to describe these things. So this is going to be this group together. Um, uh, so it's not geographical uh, like most are. Ours is relational. Guys that get to know each other and uh, want to join together hand in hand to advance the kingdom of God and encourage each other. 
Now, there will be the presbyter or elder or whatever the group, which is a bishop. Uh, and uh, the bishop over this group is going to be Bishop Sean. Sean Yost, who was here last year for our Pentecostal service. Wonderful man. You're going to absolutely love this guy. Uh, the more we get to know him. So I want to explain all this because we're going to see more of these people coming in and out of our lives. And the question is, well, who are these people? <laughs> why are we doing this? This is why we're doing it. Okay. Now this bishop does not govern or administrate the churches that are under them. All right. It's not what some denominations would consider a bishop, which basically has control over what's going on. Uh, they don't own any of the properties. Uh, it's none of that. It's just basically separate churches that are joining together and under uh, this ministry of the bishop and, on, and all the guys working together so that we kind of answer to each other. There's a spiritual covering and oversight. Um, the uh, goal of it, it'll allow us to join and coordinate our missions efforts like we're talking about today. Right now, all of our mission efforts are pretty, pretty much just us doing it, but now we can join together with other churches and we can make a bigger impact by joining together our efforts. Looking forward to that. Uh, helps us to be more effective uh, in our ministries. Helps us to grow spiritually the pastors. So now there's pastors to the pastor. You see what I'm saying? So it's not just Marky out there blowing in the wind. Uh, we're working together uh, and encouraging one another. And I think the benefit from it is gonna be great. Actually, it's already been great, I think. I feel more energized and encouraged today than I did a couple of years ago when we first started doing this because of this connection with these guys and how we encourage one another. Uh, it also helps us give direction for young men and women who want to go into the ministry. How do we do it? And there's a structure for that. Now, this diocese that we're going to be part of uh, is uh, part of a wider organization called the CEEC. It is, stands for the Communion of Evangelical Episcopal Churches, I'll explain that name in a moment. It's not a very good name and not very accurate, but I'll explain. Now, the CEEC is a worldwide Christian communion of over 20,000 congregations spread over 22 nations. It is a convergent movement where the evangelical, charismatic, and sacramental streams of the Christian faith converge together. It is a communion of churches that are unified in the essentials of the faith, connected to the ancient traditions, and pressing forward towards the future, while hearing what God is saying today. Now, let me explain the name. Again, not a really great name, but let me explain. C-E-E-C. C stands for communion, which is a stronger word than just fellowship, but it means fellowship. It's kind of like how terror is a stronger word than fear. What is terror? It's being filled with fear, but fear doesn't quite hit it. Terror is a much stronger word. Communion is a much stronger word than just fellowship. Uh, now, in the Apostles' Creed, we change a few things. Again, so it doesn't confuse people. Uh, the two major phrases that we change is we believe in the orig original creed says the Holy Catholic Church, small c. In other words, the universal church. We change it to the Holy Christian Church because it'll confuse people who think, are you guys Catholics? We're not. Okay, the other one is that we believe in the communion of the saints, which we change to the fellowship of believers, because a saint is a believer. That's what the Bible says. Later, the saints became some other big thing, and some people pray to saints. We don't do any of that, so we just change the name 
to fellowship of believers, although we've talked about maybe changing it to the communion of believers, because communion is a stronger word than just fellowship. We are connected very strongly to believers everywhere because of Jesus is in them. And it's great to meet people that you don't know from Adam and they're born again Christians and you're born again Christians. And there's this immediate connection. There's something that's there, which is fun to experience. So, um, uh, so that's the communion. E stands for evangelical, which means they believe in the scriptures and they have the final authority over everything. E, the other E stands for episcopal, which refers to structure. It is not association. In other words, it is not associated with or connected to the Episcopal Church. All right? So don't worry about that. We're not connected to anything like that. Episcopal refers to the biblical structure of the church, which we were just reading uh, about being overseers and stuff uh, over the church. Now, we don't use words like overseer today because it sounds like the guy who's in charge of a plantation. <laughs> hey, overseer, you know, like we're not overseers. We don't beat people to make them do things. Uh, the word that they use in the Bible uh, instead of overseer is the word bishop. And in fact, a lot of translations now use the word bishop where it says overseer. These are the guys who look over. So there's uh, three major structures in the scriptures for leadership. Deacons, presbyters or elders, and then bishops. The bishops oversee the presbyters or elders. What is a presbyter or elder? A presbyter or elder is what we call today in most evangelical circles, a pastor, okay? So I am like the lead elder of this church. Uh, they didn't really call them pastors so much back then. Truth is, the word pastor can be applied to anybody who's ministering to other people because it means shepherd. People who are watching over our kids right now would be considered pastors to these kids, okay? Although not in the structure of leading the church like, like I am, uh, but uh, that's where that comes from. So you got deacons, presbyters, and bishops. Actually, they're a presbyter in the Greek, which means elder. There's a there's a shortened version of it in the Greek. The first PR or whatever it is, is actually where they got the word priest from. So that's why they started calling these pastors priests way back 2,000 years ago. Uh, of course, that kind of came off the rails, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But uh, so that's what this is. Deacons, presbyters, and bishops, people who are ordained into ministry to advance the kingdom of God. So that's the structure of these churches. Um, something we've been weak on, we really haven't uh, released people in our church to be deacons because we all kind of struggle with it. You know, it, it depends on how you look at it. There's so many different versions of this stuff. And what this is helping us to do is just kind of find a solid structure that works uh, across the board for everybody. Now, this organization, CEEC, uh, doesn't rule over anybody. And they are all kinds of churches. Uh, it's a very loose organization in the sense of structure. They don't control anything. There are people of different denominations that are part of this. Uh, there's Methodist churches that are part of the CEEC. They're still Methodists, but they're also part of the CEEC. Why? Because they are convergent in nature. They're bringing in all the streams. A lot of them are independent churches like us because we're not a denomination or connected to a denomination. Uh, and we connect that way. 
Uh, so the name of the thing really should be the Communion of Independent, Charismatic, Evangelical, Episcopal Churches, which make it the C-I-C-E-E-C, -E -E which is too long. So that's why they just say C-E-E-C. -E -E it doesn't mean anything. It's just a convergent group. Uh, now, despite being a communion of over 20,000 congregations across the world, in the United States, there's only six dioceses of this. Apparently, God is not an American. Shocking, seeing how most of us think the world revolves around us. But God has been doing this work for, for several decades now. Uh, and this is all over the 20,000 of these things everywhere. In the United States, there's a whole six. Bishop Ed is one of them. He has a diocese. This new diocese we're starting with, Bishop Sean, will be number seven. We're really rocking now, all right? So uh, I expect that it's going to grow exponentially because so many people are doing this, they just don't know what they're doing or that there's a group of people that we all do it with. So we expect it to grow. So anyway, uh, this is it. So belonging to a group bigger than ourselves provides for accountability as well as spiritual support. If anybody feels I'm getting off the proper path or doing something I shouldn't be doing, what are you going to do? Nothing. Because I'm the top of this very tiny totem pole. By being part of something like this, it gives accountability to me. If you think I'm getting a little wackier than normal, uh, you can go to Bishop Sean. Bishop Sean, he's getting a little wackier than normal, and he's doing crazy stuff, and how do we fix this? And then he, uh, with the other pastors, would call me in and talk to me. So it, it, it creates more safety, all right? I know because sometimes people are nervous being part of an independent church like this because they say, well, who's he accountable to? Well, now we have that, okay? So we just believe it's better than being an independent church that doesn't answer to anybody but ourselves. That's really not all that healthy. Why haven't we belonged to anything else? Because we couldn't find anything else that was like us. Uh, or others that wanted us, they would drop us. Because <laughs> we have wine or whatever weird thing. Uh, so, um, so we are evangelical, charismatic, liturgical together expressing this stuff. We believe we're taking the best of everything and bring, bringing it together. It makes us different than most churches, uh, but that's okay. And it's okay that other churches aren't like us. We don't claim to say, we're the only people who get this right. Uh, that's not our thinking at all. We employ all these elements because we think it's beneficial and it's good for us and for the people that are part of our church and helps bring spiritual life into what we do. Now, as we blend these streams together, it's the liturgical people that seem to have no problem with it. If you have a liturgical background, they easily accept the evangelical and even charismatic side of things. It's the evangelicals that really struggle with this because they don't like the liturgical side of it because to them, it means Roman Catholic. But we are not Roman Catholics. Now, we are not anti-Roman Catholics. We don't hate the Roman Catholics. We don't hate anybody. We disagree with them. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd all be Roman Catholics. But that's all that that is. Now, um, a lot of the liturgical stuff that we connect to are things that go way back before there was really an organized Roman Catholic church. They would disagree because they think they've been around from the beginning, but not that structure out of Rome. None of that stuff was there in the early church, at least for the first 500 years, which is a long time. America's only been around for 250 years. Double that 
was before even stuff started coming out of Rome and the church started getting more organized. Uh, and then they kept building and building power uh, until about the year 1000. So a thousand years of Christianity. The earliest part of it, the first 300 years, is called the patristic period, which is a word for father, the, the fathers of the church. During that part of the church, uh, either uh, the people who were leading the church were either actual apostles or had been ordained by apostles or had been ordained by somebody who was ordained by an apostle. This is, they were very structured. This is the kind of stuff that we try to connect to when we talk about history and, and stuff. But there's other parts of it that uh, we'll talk to in just a minute. So now what happens now? Uh, just to give you a little mini history. Now we've been studying this on Wednesday nights, first Wednesdays. So I'm going to try and give you a five-minute version of a couple of, two or three hours of this. Uh, in the beginning, uh, as I just said, the church was connected and everything was pretty solid. But then toward a thousand years, it started, some things started getting weirder and weirder. The church became stronger. And now it wasn't just a church. It was also political and a military power. By the year 1200, the wheels come off the bus. Okay. And they really go out of control. They um, start the crusades. They say, well, that was just to beat back the pagans. Now they even did this to other Christians. When the Eastern Orthodox Church split off from the Roman Catholic Church, because they had disagreements. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church sent in uh, crusades to destroy Constantinople, which was a Christian city. Kill Christians killing Christians. Uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church eventually apologized for it a few years ago. A thousand years or so, decided to make an apology for something they did. It was a horrible thing that they did. And, and we all did. This is, and even the Catholics will admit, this is the worst part of their history. This is when stuff gets bad. And now they start employing things that are really kind of, I call it the wheels coming off the bus. It was this period, about 1200, uh, where they started saying, uh, you get your sins forgiven by confessing to a priest. That didn't exist before. Uh, and then you have to do penance. Whatever version of that. Uh, and then if that wasn't enough, you could buy your sins to be forgiven. They would sell them what they called indulgences. This is how they raised all the money to fund the Crusades and build an incredible Vatican City. If you ever get a chance to see that, it's, it's amazing. I've been there many times. Uh, but all this was raised by trying to sell people forgiveness of their sins. It was just off the... And then they created something that didn't... And now, if you're a Catholic visiting this morning, again, we just disagree. We don't hate anybody. All right. This is not an anti-Catholic thing. But then they institute this thing called purgatory. It, no, there's nothing in the Bible that even hints about a purgatory. But so uh, instead of just going to God and confessing your sins to him and having Jesus forgive your sins, they start complicating it. You got to do it from a peace, priest. You got to do penance. Uh, you can buy indulgences. And if you can't do that, you go to purgatory, which is like a mini hell where you fry off your sins before you go to heaven. That... They have a hard time defending that one, quite frankly. There is nothing anywhere that talks about that in the scriptures. So anyway, this is what sets up the major shift. About the 15th century, something happens. The printing press is invented. The first book ever printed was the Bible. Now this becomes a problem for the powers in Rome because people could now actually read the Bible for themselves. And it's when they start reading the Bible, they're going, wait a minute. 
That's not how this is supposed to be. And it creates what is called the Reformation. That historically, you should have learned this in school, but they don't talk about anything in school except global warming anyway. But uh, the Reformation was a major thing. This is when Martin Luther comes along, and these guys were all Roman Catholic priests and monks, and they were very devout. The Reformation, they never intended to break away from the Catholic Church. That was never their intention. They wanted to reform the church. That's why it's called the Reformation. The church wanted nothing to do with it, and they fought back hard. And, uh, and it all went very, very badly. And then you get people breaking off uh, uh, to their own thing. The Roman church then doubled down. They weren't reforming. Then they came up with the doctrine of papal, papal infallibility, which I said is impossible for the Pope ever to make a mistake, which is just extreme. From a non-Catholic point of view, now if, if you're, I was raised Catholic, I thought it was all fine back in the day, but now looking at the Bible, you know, this... It's just a stretch. And then, and then they decide to deify Mary and went as far as to say that Mary was born without sin and is the mother of God and referred to as the mother of God. The problem is God doesn't have a mother. God has no beginning, no mothers involved. All right, she was the mother of Jesus and should be respected as such, but she's not the mother of God and she was not born without sin. She was just like all the rest. There's one person ever born into this world without sin, his name Jesus Christ, all right? So anyway, what started out as uh, a reformation turns into a divorce. And you got these churches splitting off, and then they split and split and split and split. So today there's some between 20,000 and 50,000 different Christian denominations. That's a lot of splitting, you know, because everybody, the negative thing is everybody doesn't want to listen to anybody today. Nobody really wants accountability to anybody and if you disagree over, over the smallest stuff, some denomination, I mean, there's 50 different kinds of Baptists, for heaven's sakes. You know, even the Baptists can't get, agree with themselves. Pentecost is the same problem. Split, 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 split. And I don't know where all these things eventually wound up. Anyway, consequently, there's still a strong anti-Catholic phobia in a lot of evangelicals today. Uh, and that I just wanted to address very quickly. Um, like when we started doing the Lord's Prayer. People from an evangelical background, they panicked. You're trying to turn us into a Catholic church. No. It's the Lord's Prayer. The Lord came up with it. It's in the Bible. It doesn't make us Roman Catholic or anything else. It makes us biblical. Okay? Uh, that or taking weekly communion. Uh, and by the way, the main reason most evangelical churches don't say the Lord's Prayer is because Catholics do. That's it. It makes no sense. The main reason most evangelical churches today are not doing communion is because Catholics do. And so they do communion once a month or once a quarter or whatever they do. Uh, they just, they're so, it's been 500 years. You think we'd calm down by now. But there's still this very strong thing. So occasionally we bring in some of these elements and people will react negatively. My encouragement, don't react negatively. If you got questions, we'll explain it to you. A lot of these things go back, they're traditions uh, Lent is a tradition. It's not in the Bible. It's not, but it's consistent with the Bible. Christmas, it's not in the Bible. Don't sell. And every year at Christmas time, you'll hear some real extreme nut jobs on the internet saying, you shouldn't celebrate Christmas. It's not in the Bible. And they do the same thing with Easter and a bunch of other things. It's just traditions, okay? 
And, and don't let these people freak you out. You know, it's just, Christmas is in the Bible because the Bible talks about it. But they didn't officially celebrate it. They didn't officially celebrate Easter. They didn't officially celebrate much of anything. In the, you know what they officially celebrated every Sunday? Was the death of the Lord. And that's why the Bible says whenever we take communion, we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So, and there's these other little things here and there. So if you see some of these things that sounds or feels like something that you think is Roman Catholic, ask questions. I guarantee you, it is not. These are traditions that date way back before any of this stuff happened. So we uh, acknowledge the ancient traditions of the church along with the contemporary things that we're doing today. And it makes us who we are. This is why you're going to see some of these different guys coming in and out over the years to come and how we are going to build and move forward as a church. So we're still Celebration Church. We still own Celebration Church. We are in charge of Celebration Church, but now we're connected to something that's bigger than just us. And the benefit is going to be positive to all of us as these different men and women come into our lives and encourage us with these things. Ta-da! I'm done. All right. All that. Now, 98% of you aren't going to remember a third of what I just said. So if you have questions as you go along the way, just ask. So, so what was that? Where, where, how, how do, and we'll, we'll try and explain it to you. Eventually, after several years, it should sink in. It is what it does. They say you've got to repeat something at least seven times before anybody remembers what you said. It's quite a challenge for guys like me who are trying to make points. I've got to say it seven different times, but we're not going to do it all in a row. All right. We are done with that. We are going to now wrap up our service. We're going to do what I just talked about, celebrate the one thing that was celebrated in the very beginning of the church, which is the Lord's death. Why would you celebrate the Lord's death? Because it's his death on the cross that makes all this possible. Because we believe in the forgiveness of sins by confessing our sins to God, by asking and putting our hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, it's not that pastors and priests can't benefit. Of course we can benefit people. But we do not stand between you and God. You have a direct connection with God. You don't need us to do it. Uh, and so that's what we celebrate as we do this. And the Bible says before we do this, we should pause and examine ourselves. So let's bow our heads as we reflect inwardly. And I want to just pray a prayer of forgiveness over all of us. Uh, how are you doing this week? Did you do things you shouldn't have done? <laughs> Got to lose it here and there. Now's a good time to just talk to God about it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause to examine ourselves. If we have sinned against you in any way, uh, by word, thought, or deed, something we've done, something that we didn't do that we should have done, if we haven't loved you with our whole heart, if we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves, for the sake of your beloved Son, we pray, forgive us of our sins. And while our heads are bowed, maybe this morning you're sitting here thinking, you know, I, I've never really experienced what you're talking about, really knowing Jesus Christ in my life. You can do that right now. All you got to do is ask him in your own words, ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins. Talk directly to him. You don't need me to do it for you. Uh, and you can start your first steps of faith this morning and really get to know God in your life. Amen.